Amen. Good evening. It's good to see all of you here. I appreciate you being here. Take a Bible if you have one this evening and turn to the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy, I so appreciate your prayers, concern for my wife. This morning, some of you saw that she had a little hard time, and, and uh, she'll be fine. She wanted to come back tonight, but this was not strong enough, and it just happens. Ever so often, ever so often it, just, it just happens. She, uh, she has a muscle weakness, and it takes over, and it takes her sometimes a few hours to a few days to recuperate, but she'll be just fine. But thank you for your concern. I so appreciate it, and so does she. This morning, I introduced tonight's message. I want to read the text from which I'll bring the message. It's found in 1 Timothy 4.1. And I've, I've seen this phrase for a long, long time. And I've, I've never done a, a deep dive in it, not knowing exactly what it meant. I just took it for face value. And this evening, I want us to look at Satan's spiritual seduction. Let me read for you chapter 4, 1 Timothy the first verse. Now the Spirit speaketh expressly, that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits, notice, and doctrines of devils. Doctrines of devils. Now what's interesting to me is the verse begins by saying the Spirit speaketh expressly. It doesn't mince words. He's not hiding this truth. He expressly speaks for us to understand. Paul, in writing to Timothy, realized that they were living in the last days. And as the latter times got worse and worse, then he would be exposed to doctrines of devils. Well, don't think for a moment that the doctrines of devils have lightened up since the days of Paul and Timothy. They've simply gotten more prolific, more effective, if you will. So I want us to pray and then ask God to meet with us and to lead us tonight in this study entitled Satan's Spiritual Seduction. Let's pray. I thank you, dear Lord, for your love, for your wisdom. I thank you for your word. Lord, I thank you for revealing yourself to us in your word. And I thank you, Lord, that the Spirit, your Spirit, has expressly told us that in the latter times there will be doctrines of devils. Help us this evening to understand what that means and to better prepare to defend ourselves against these and, Lord, to go on the offensive. I pray, Lord, that you might lead us and guide us. Thank you for what you're going to do, for we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Doctrines of devils, well, literally translated means instructions from demons. Demons becoming our teachers, being taught from the very pit of hell. Well, which one of us wants to go to class and have a demon teach us? Not a one of us. But it is interesting that we're taught in the Bible that the devil does not reveal himself to us for who he is. He's a deceiver. He's the father of lies. He came as an angel of light. He's deceptive. And so... As such, his doctrines will always be deceptive as well. I want to go all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, where we see Satan's methods revealed in the garden. In Genesis 3, 
And following it reads, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes will be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. Verse 13, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. Satan's methods here in the garden, he revealed himself as hail, or hell's pied piper. Come follow me, I'm going to lead you, and oh, it's going to be glorious. If you'll just follow me, it's going to be a wonderful life. Follow the deceitful leader, he says. She said, the Satan, the serpent beguiled me. I looked it up to see what this means. To beguile, this word means to lead astray. To lead one astray or to seduce. How did he do it? Well, he questioned God's word. Is that really what God said? Is that really what God means? God really doesn't mean that. Oh, I know it says that, but that's not really what he means, he said. And ever since that time, the devil and cohorts have been trying to convince us that that's not really what God means. Satan's goal is to lead us away from the truth. You see, the quite frankly, Satan isn't that bothered that we're exposed to the truth. It's going to happen. He knows that. As long as he can put his spin on it. As long as, he, as long as he can filter what you hear of the truth through his reasoning. Satan's methods, first of all, he was hell's pied piper. Secondly, we see in 2 Peter 2 and verse 1, But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privily shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. There will be false teachers among you. Among you. False prophets among the people. What I see here are some poisonous moles. Moles, those that get in the body of Christ. Those that, that come in subversively, that sneak in. Those that come in with the express purpose of dividing, of the, of the, of the skewing the truth. False prophets and false teachers, they're called here. These are religious imposters and propagators of erroneous Christian doctrine. It says here, secretively bringing in damnable heresies or destructive ideologies. Now notice they will do it quietly. They're not going to get up on the platform and, and have a great big banner. They're going to do it quietly. Oh, just, just you and me. Let me, t let me tell just you. This is for just you to know. They will bring upon themselves, however, swift destruction. Satan's goal here is to create destructive thinking. Satan's methods, well, he's hell's pied piper. He's planted 
poisonous moles. And he offers gospel frauds. In 2 Corinthians 11, 3 and 4, But I fear, lest by any means, as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. Notice, For if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus, whom we have not preached, or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. Another Jesus. Here, Paul warns of another Jesus. Another Jesus. What do you mean another Jesus? The Jesus I know is the Son of God. He came from heaven, lived a pure and spotless life, offered himself on the cross to die for the sins of humanity. He rose again three days later. Hallelujah. That's the Jesus I know. But that's not the Jesus of many cults. Another Jesus corrupts. Another Jesus brings a curse. In Galatians 1, 6, and 7, I marvel that ye are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel, which is not another, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we preached unto you, let him be accursed. This is serious business. Another gospel, another Jesus, this is serious, he says. Doctrines of devils. Gospel frauds. Here's some examples of another Jesus. There's some incredibly moral and kind people out there. There's some folks that look really, really decent and are so nice that live moral, upstanding, people who we would agree with politically oftentimes, lives. But if you dig deep, you come to find out they have a completely different Jesus. One wrote, It is true that many of the Christian churches worship a different Jesus Christ than is worshipped by the Mormons or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, writes one of the leaders of Mormonism. Another one wrote, Jesus became a God, small g. Jesus became a God, he became a God, and reached his great state of understanding through consistent effort and continuous obedience to all the gospel truths and universal laws, writes a Mormon leader. He became a God through obedience to all the gospel truths and universal laws. Huh. So what is the Mormon belief regarding the gospel? One wrote regarding salvation, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved. Sounds pretty good. I was listening on the radio one time, I was driving home from some place and had a, I just was flipping through the radio and heard this gospel preacher. I had a cut and loose and it was really good, a wonderful message. And they got to the very end, they actually gave an invitation. 
said, how many radio preachers give a good invitation? And it was great, but it sounded something like, something like what I just read here. It's, we believe that through the atonement of Christ, all mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel. In other words, by works. The one that I was listening to said, by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and by trusting in Joseph Smith and the Book of Mormon, you can know for sure you're going to heaven. Another Jesus. Another Jesus. You see, my Jesus was never created. He always has been. He was in the beginning. We learned this morning, the word was in the beginning. He was God. Not small g. He was God. Satan's goal to substitute another Jesus. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. You can't replace Jesus with a counterfeit. It's Jesus or hell. Those are two options. It's the Jesus of the scriptures or hell. Now there's an interesting word here that I have come to love. In 2 Corinthians 11.3 it says, But I fear lest by any means as the serpent beguiled Eve through his subtlety, so your minds should be corrupted from the here it is, simplicity that is in Christ. The simplicity. I love it when it's simple. I love it when I can grasp it, when I can understand it. You put it down here when even I can understand it. <laughs> Whoa, I like that. That's great. When I received the gospel 11 years old, I liked it. I loved it because I could grasp it. I could understand it. And isn't it wonderful that God has made the gospel so that a child could understand it? Jesus called the little child out and said, Except your faith be as a little child. All these, these religious people standing around, oh, they knew so much of the scriptures. Oh, that offended them to think that they could get by with just the faith of a, a little child. But that's what it takes. The simplicity that is in Christ versus the subtlety of the serpent. You see, the gospel is simple in its concept. Satan attempts to complicate it and pull it beyond the reach of the average mind. In so doing, he makes the gospel attainable to only a limited few. And they, in turn, often become proud in their higher knowledge. Satan has done his best to make the gospel way up here so they cannot understand it. So, oh, I, they, they preach as for children, but no child could begin to understand it. Satan doesn't want to make it simple. He wants to make it complicated. He, he calls it subtlety here. It's a doctrine of the devil to take the simplicity of the gospel and make it complicated. I need it simple. And as an 11-year-old, I trusted Christ. You need it simple to take away all the doubts, all the fears, realizing that he did it all. I don't have to try to figure it out and read some higher mental plane, a plane of knowledge. The gospel call is simple. And it's open to all. Isaiah 55, 1 reads, Ho, everyone that thirsteth, 
Come ye to the waters, and he that hath no money, come ye, buy and eat. Yea, come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. In Revelation 22, 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that saith say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whosoever will, let him take the water of life freely. Whosoever will, whosoever will, whosoever will, send the proclamation over vale and hill. Tis a loving Father sends the wanderer home. Whosoever will may come. I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I'm so glad that I didn't have to, to go through a bunch of hoops. I came to Jesus just as I am. It is passionately appealed to all. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Isaiah 1.18, Come now, and let us reason together, saith the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. His heartbeat is that every human being is saved. Doesn't matter how sinful they are, the blood of Jesus Christ has already taken care of that sin. They must come to Jesus by faith, passionately appeal to all. Satan's response is subtlety. He points his finger at us and says, you are not one of the elect. You can't be saved. You committed the unpardonable sin. You can never be saved. <laughs> when you came to Christ, you weren't sorry enough for your sin. So that salvation experience wasn't effective in your case. You didn't say the right words when you got saved. You messed it all up. You didn't have enough faith when you got saved. And I've heard most of these excuses people doubt in their salvation. He says, don't let your minds be corrupted from the simplicity that is in Christ. You see, he did it all. All to him I owe. He did it all. And he offers to us a free gift. He doesn't make us become intellectual giants to try to match his wit. He said, I've done it all. I paid the price on the cross. I'm now offering to you a free gift of eternal life. It is yours for the receiving. The gospel is also complete. Salvation is trusting in Jesus alone. Nothing added. John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. It is only through him. Acts 4, 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. There is one way. I know you know that, but we need to hear it again. There is a concerted effort out there to once again water down the gospel. To make it in such a way that, that either everybody has it already, because God would certainly not send somebody, somebody to hell. He's too loving. 
or it is so unattainable that how could we ever understand it? Doctrines of devils. Satan promotes discontent. Look at the garden. Look at all Eve had. She had everything pleasurable, every direction she went. It was only one tree. One that she was told she couldn't have. She had everything else in the garden, but that one, stay away from that. Where do you suppose Satan refocused her attention? He made her discontent. Instead of looking around and saying, look at all that you have, look at what you don't have. Look at what they're keeping from you. Look at what you're not getting that you deserve. Satan beguiled Eve by means of subtlety, luring her away from all the incredible blessings she had in the garden. He caused her to become discontent and to look at something she didn't have, fruit from the one forbidden tree. The gospel is too simple. You're smarter than that. Reason calls for something more complicated than simply believing. The gospel is simple. It's simple by God's design. He designed it simply. It's simple intellectually. In Matthew 18, 2 and 3, And Jesus called a little child unto him, and set him in the midst of them, and said, Verily I say unto you, Except ye be converted and become as little children, ye shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. The gospel is attainable to all, even childlike faith. Children. I was 11. I've dealt with children much younger. They came to understand that Jesus Christ died for their sins. And apart from their trusting in Him and Him alone, they could not go to heaven. And they prayed and trusted Jesus Christ personally. The gospel is simple intellectually. It's simple morally. 1 John 4.19, we love Him. Why? Because He first loved us. Simple expectations, certainly not complex. The gospel is a call to love Christ who first loved us. The gospel is simple spiritually. The gospel is simply keeping our eyes on Christ, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, Hebrews 12, 2. But Satan comes along and tries to complicate it. Intellectually, Colossians 2.8, Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ, through scientific and philosophic ideas that tend to distract us away from the simplicity that is in the gospel. He tries to complicate it morally by questioning expectations of the Christian life. 1 Corinthians 8.13, Wherefore, if meat make thy brother to, to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. In 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. Satan tries to complicate it spiritually by distracting from the simple plan of salvation, presenting another gospel, another Jesus. 2 Corinthians 11.4, for if he that cometh preacheth another Jesus 
whom we have not preached. Or if ye receive another spirit, which ye have not received, or another gospel, which ye have not accepted, ye might well bear with him. You see, Satan's counterfeit is confusing. God's not the author of confusion. God does not want us confused in the gospel. He wants us to understand it clearly, plainly, succinctly. But Satan wants to put a filter there, keeping it all complicated. Salvation through an endless pursuit of real knowledge is what they were plagued with in the early church. Found in the book of John repeatedly are refutations to a, a philosophy that was rampant in his day called Gnosticism. Gnosticism did not die off. Gnosticism is alive and well today infecting so many arenas of thought. Gnosticism is the pursuit of and oneness with knowledge. It's the desire to have a higher knowledge, a knowledge that is higher than everyone else. Gnostic thinking is basic to the human potential movement because it focuses on man and his problems, man and his needs, Man and his happiness. Notice the focus. Taking up the mantra of enlightenment thinking by making man the measure of all things, Gnostic thinking would postulate that human tragedy is not the result of sin, but only ignorance. As we look around and see the horrible condition, it's not because of sin. It's We don't know enough. We need to learn more. The answer to life's plight and inequities is therefore found simply in knowledge. Evolutionary thinking would prefer to find man in his next stage of development, free from the oppressive bonds of religion and open to the fresh winds of self-awareness. Human reason and discovery as man discovers new vistas of human potential. Immediately at hand is Gnostic thinking that whispers to the anxious inquirer, search your heart. Seek the deep truth within your soul. You are the truth because God is in you. Totally opposite to this is the Bible, which tells the searching heart that the true human tragedy is sin and that the blood of Jesus is the only antidote for the human condition. Second, we might refer to the wonderful text found in John's Gospel. We don't have to sit and mutter to ourselves, searching way down deep for a still, small voice of inner assurance. Instead, we read that our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ, 1 John 1, 3. Our Creator, the one who made us and owns us, seeks to have intimate, ongoing fellowship with His creatures. It comes from an article I read in Answers in Genesis. So what is salvation according to another Jesus? Well, from the journals of Mormonism, believe in God, believe in Jesus, and believe in Joseph, his prophet, and in Brigham, his successor. And I add, if you will believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is the Christ and Joseph was a prophet and that Brigham was his successor, you will be saved in the kingdom of God, which I pray in the name of Jesus, may be the case. Amen. 
another, your heavenly Father has promised forgiveness upon total repentance and meeting all the requirements. But that forgiveness is not granted merely for the asking. There must be works, many works, and all-out total surrender with a great humility and a broken heart and a contrite spirit. It depends upon you whether or not you are forgiven and when. It could be weeks, it could be years, it could be centuries before that happy day when you have the positive assurance that the Lord has forgiven you. That depends on your humility, your sincerity, your works, your attitudes. Another, if we can pass through Sentinel Joseph, the prophet, we shall go into the celestial kingdom. You may not have caught this, but they say in order to actually go in, the guard of the celestial kingdom is Joseph the prophet, Joseph Smith. He has been elevated to become the guard of the celestial kingdom. And we shall go in the celestial kingdom by passing through him, and not a man can injure us. If he says, God bless you, come along here, if we will live so that Joseph will justify and say, here am I, brethren, we shall pass every sentinel. There will be no danger but that we will pass into the celestial kingdom. Jehovah's Witnesses. In Watchtower theology, salvation is not regarded as a free gift from God based upon Jesus Christ's work on the cross. Rather, their literature stresses a salvation by works. One of their leaders, Russell, wrote, they must be recovered from blindness as well as from death, that they, each for himself, may have a full chance to prove by obedience for disobedience their worthiness of life eternal. Elsewhere they state, all who by reason of faith in Jehovah God and in Christ Jesus dedicate themselves to do God's will and then faithfully carry out their dedication will be rewarded with everlasting life. Works. As long as you have enough works, you can go to heaven. Christian science. Concerning salvation, founder Mrs. Eddy said, Life, truth, and love, understood and demonstrated as supreme over all, sin, sickness, and death, destroyed. Since to the Christian scientist there is no such thing as sin, salvation in the biblical sense is totally unnecessary. She went on to say, The material blood of Jesus was no more efficacious to cleanse from sin when it was shed upon the accursed tree than when it was flowing in his veins as when he went, uh, went, about, daily in his, uh, went about daily about his father's business. In other words, the blood of Christ was totally useless because there is no sin anyway. Lastly, faith in Jesus and anything else. Faith in Jesus and anything else. Oh, I believe in Jesus and baptism to get saved. I believe in Jesus and you've got to be good enough to get saved. I believe in Jesus and John 14, 6, Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. 
Acts 4.12, Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 1 John 5.11 and 12, And this is the record that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saved us. Salvation is in Christ alone. And it's not of works. Galatians 2.16 Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. Salvation is a gift. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, For by grace are you saved, through faith, and that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And salvation is certainly not religiosity. Matthew 7, 21 and following, Not every one that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And I will say or profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. And salvation is through the work of God, faith alone. John 6, 28 and 29 then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that ye believe on him whom he hath sent. John 6, 40, And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Understand the doctrine of devils is to take the pure religion of Christ Jesus and Christ alone, the simplicity that is in the gospel, Jesus of the Bible, and to offer it to us freely, whosoever will. The doctrine of devils wants to confuse that, wants to change that, wants to alter that, wants to substitute anything else other than that. And he is masterful at it. The world is convinced that God, if they believe in a God, would surely not send them to hell. Oh, they know some people, some really, really bad people. And those really bad people are deserving of it. But they're not that bad. And so God is loving. God would certainly not send me to hell. And I postulate to you that that is another gospel. That makes the, G the blood of Jesus Christ totally ineffective. Why did he even die? If everybody that thinks they're going to heaven is going there. There's one way. I am the way, Jesus said. One way. And yes, quite frankly, that message slaps in the face of the world. And they hate that message. They despise that message. And that message is offensive. They don't want to be told that they're going to hell, that they're not good enough to go to hell. Well, I got a message for them. I'm not good enough to go to heaven. I'm not good enough. 
I'm not going in my own good works. I'm going in His good work. But the message of Christ can be offensive. So this evening, I want to remind you that there is still a very busy devil out there. And that devil is masterful at deception. He's a deceiver. He does not want people to get saved. He does not want you to share the gospel. He wants to convince you that it's too complicated, it's too hard, it's too embarrassing. He wants to present to you the idea that you could talk and it wouldn't be able to make sense anyway. And sadly, he's been very effective. So let's be reminded that we owe our eternity on the simplicity of the gospel. I wasn't real smart as an 11-year-old. Oh, I thought I was. But I did some of the dumbest things, foolish things. I shouldn't be alive. Dumb things. But I can understand that I was a sinner. I had three sisters. I knew what sin was. I... And I went to bed frequently, not knowing for sure that if I died, that I'd go to heaven because I wasn't convinced that my good works had outweighed my bad works because that's what I'd been taught. And when I heard the gospel, that it wasn't according to me or how good I was, but that Jesus already paid the price for me. And I knelt down next to my dad and I prayed a simple prayer of faith, calling upon him, a very simple prayer, a very simple act. I didn't, I didn't have all of the details of theology worked out of my head. I simply knew that I was a sinner and he was the solution to my problem. And I transferred dependence from my shoulders to his. And the Bible said, my belief on him saved me. I was born again. And I'm going to heaven because of a childlike, simple decision I made when I was 11. If I could make that, don't you suppose there's some folks you know? If they heard that message, they respond as well. Now, the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils. Let's pray. Thank you, dear Lord, for your love. Thank you for the simplicity that is in the gospel. Thank you for loving us so much you died for us. Dear Lord, I, I will not comprehend the incredible depths of the knowledge of salvation <laughs> and explore it throughout eternity, loving you for it. But I thank you, Lord, that you put it on a level that I could understand. I thank you, Lord, for sending your Holy Spirit to give me understanding. And I pray this evening, Lord, that you might open our eyes, open our eyes to the deceit that is going on around us. 
blinding so many, believing that the gospel is too complicated or believing that they don't need it because they're good enough. And Lord, would you take the blinders off of our eyes this evening? Lord, the whisperings of the devil, convincing us that we couldn't ever share the gospel, it's too hard. Lord, would you, would you be glorified in it? Thank you for this evening, Lord. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.